between the gas and people not getting stuff planted, that's that's the big stuff. Uh, that's important news. Not people getting people not getting stuff planted. We are live, so I'm going to do this this intro that I wrote up. Uh, it's the same every week. Welcome to the Farm Hop Life Men's Forum, uh, number seven. I am Matt of a Farm Hop Life, and tonight, so far, I'm joined by Josiah of Over the Moon Farm, or is it Farms? Plural. Just farm. Just farm. He's in Missouri. Uh, so, um, wow, news. Here's the news: is that um. Gap, you were just telling me about gas prices, $8 a gallon in LA. That's what I, I had... saw. I'm not sure if that's that high one or not, but yeah, that's what, that's what I was saying. <laughs> we got we got Caleb joining us. Hey, Caleb, how's it going? Hey, man, what's going on? I got a oh, few minutes. Oh, my gosh. I, I totally just doxed you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, fuck it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we were going to... Um, briefly touch on on gas really quick so i saw a headline that they were uh programming reprogramming pumps to read gas for dutch double digit numbers and i didn't read anything further than i'm like oh okay yeah i can see that and not like really really caring and my wife i told my wife that and she's like yeah that's for like you know race fuel that gas stations sell uh because it's way more profitable so it makes sense that they would just sell race fuel and so when race fuel is like $15 a gallon or whatever, um, they need to read double digits, obviously. Like, oh, okay. That makes sense. So it's just clickbait, clickbait trash. Is what I saw. I have seen the, uh, they reprogrammed the, the stations near me for uh, over a hundred on a transaction. I don't know what it actually gets up to, but. Right. So, yeah, but that, that is pump. new this time around. It used to just cap at a hundred, but now, uh, now you can go over a hundred. So, Oh, interesting. Now you can go over a hundred. That's weird. Um, so what, so you guys get, you guys get stuff planted recently, lately this weekend. Yeah, we got we got I, I patched in some more corn, some of the stuff that didn't that didn't uh pop up. And then we got some uh some melons and some squash in. So staying busy that way. Nice. Nice. What about you, Guy Alaska? Just taters. Just taters. Is it is that yep. the only thing that grows? <laughs> well, they do grow well. They do grow well up here. Uh it's one of the historical foods that people grow, but, um, no, it's just like, just to plant that, I had to put a bunch of slab wood down on top of the muskeg and then put a bunch of sawdust on that and then put the potatoes down and then put compost over top of that. So it's just a lot of work just for that, but we would like to get some squash in. We'll see. I think squash, zucchini, those kinds of things grow pretty well, but we haven't had rain for like a week and a half too. This is one of the driest, driest months of the year is april and may are the driest so oh i actually got the water potatoes that's weird that's kind of weird it's yeah, like that is weird yeah we're in the we're in the rainy season for us here in montana now and i'm actually surprised that it's like still rainy here because normally it's just like dry on top of dry and uh it's just 
just keep yeah. training, which whatever we'll take. Um, right. So, yeah, uh, we had, uh, I had to burn some brush the other day and you got to keep a bucket and a chainsaw with you. Cause the, the hemlocks up above, they, they grow like these lumpy growths on the branches that, that get full of moss and stuff. And that's so dry. I actually had one catch fire. And, uh, so you got to cut the tree down when you're burning before it can uh, spread to something else. So Jeez. once I mean, just two or three days of no rain here and it dries right out because that, that sphagnum moss holds the water, but then it evaporates the water really quickly too. Mm. That's, that's kind of wild, man. Wild Alaska. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's jump into, if you guys don't have any um, other further like news, new stuff, you know, like planting that's important um let, let's get into ethics ethics principles and whatever else i wrote ethics principles and morals of raising meat um and that's not just raising meat either i even included hunting and uh fishing included in that so um do you guys i mean you guys have processed animals before obviously right what have you what have you processed Let's start with Goats. livestock. Goats. Uh, I'll send it to you just there. You go okay. ahead. Uh, <laughs> goats, chickens, pigs. Um, I've helped with a cow. Uh, that seems sheep. like a lot of work. It was. It was. Those are the livestock that I've done. And then basically every everything wild in uh, in Missouri that's that's uh, killable and processable, I've I've done. So wild and killable in Missouri. <laughs> you ever eaten a homeless man? Um, what about, what about you guy? Oh yeah. Just about, well, when I was in Michigan, whatever is wild and killable there too. I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't need a, I mean, I've skinned almost everything, but I haven't eaten almost everything, but yeah, eating woodchuck, porcupine, all that. Those are all, I think overlooked meats that are really fine meats, to be honest. Um, yeah, goats, sheep, cow once, that sort of thing. Deer, plenty of deer. Yeah, I'm not above eating a porcupine or a woodchuck. I'll tell That's you right. what, they're very good. Woodchuck, good as uh, slow cooked, porcupine's good in a stew. Good to know. Can you use the quills on a porcupine for like skewers and? <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh. No, I mean, you can, you can save them for, I mean, people do quill work, which is similar to bead work. You know, they'll, they'll dye the quills and, uh, weave little baskets, things like that. Hmm. I, I didn't know that. Now I'll have to look that up. I'll have to look that up yeah. later. Yeah. It's pretty, um, the, the good way. We're, we're big on that. Still are. I, I don't have as much, uh, processing experience as you guys just like, you know, I've been hunting since like 12 or 13, mm-hmm. um, to like help other people process their stuff. Did 25 meat birds last year, but that's, that's kind of like the extent of like, I've never, Oh, I did Turkey once. Um, a lot of more work than a chicken just because of the size, but it's easier to get your hand in there to, to clean them out. <laughs> but, um, have yet, to, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try really hard to get an elk this year. So that's, that's kind of like one of my, my big goals is uh, my buddy's got like 
200 head of elk herd that passes through his property quite quite frequently like you go you could almost predict it and so he's like they keep eating all my hay they ate like four or five thousand dollars worth of his hay last year and so he's like we need to more uh we need to more intensive intensively manage this herd because you can't be having that do you guys when you when you do take um let's say let's start with hunting what i mean obviously one shot one shot kill one kill shot would be better but why why what 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 do you feel about that like what why do you feel like it's best to only take one shot? I mean, I think that's kind of a new, uh, kind of a new idea. Honestly, when you read Is the it? stories of some, yeah, when you read the stories of some of the old time hunters, they thought nothing of just getting a hit on one so that they could track it down. Like a hit was better. I mean, they didn't have the same ethics that we do. That's interesting. Um, okay. Even even you know when sport hunting you know kind of came back you know not not that long ago in America it wasn't it wasn't uh, wasn't unheard of for people to just get a hit so they get another hit kind of a thing so it's it's kind of new um, honestly to um, to to want that one one shot you know I don't know like for me I I don't like to see the suffering um, same. But at the same time, you know, when you see a, a wild animal get torn apart, you know, see a deer get torn apart, you know, alive or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, going out and finding a chicken that's been ripped apart and is, you know, getting eaten alive. Like that stuff happens in the wild. I don't I'm not saying that we shouldn't try and rise above that. But at the same time, like I, I go for a one shot kill partially because I'm on a small piece of, of private and I don't want the animal to run, um, you know, more than I guess from an ethics standpoint, you know, wild, wild animals die horrible deaths. You know, if I can do better than that, then great. But if not, I'll do my best, but I don't, I don't know necessarily that there's anything ethically against taking two shots or three or five. I mean, it makes you look like a bad hunter these days, but other than that, I don't, I don't know that there's ethically anything wrong with it. Yeah, I suppose if you like, yeah, if I guess the unethical thing would be if you didn't go retrieve it and like used the animal for like for meat, right? Instead of just like just shooting it and then just leaving it to die like a horrible death and then rotting or it getting like it's slow like bleeding out slowly and getting eaten by coyotes and stuff like you injured that animal like you caused that like why would yeah i i yeah i can see the line there yeah i think too uh as 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 far as ethics go when it comes to killing an animal i think there really ought to be a different standard between livestock and wild animals and the reason is because livestock are under your care. If I, I keep them in a pen, if I don't water them, they die. If I don't feed them, they die. If I don't, uh, def- you know, protect them from predators, excluding myself, they die. And, uh, you know, if you look in the wild, 
you know, like, like Josiah was talking about, you know, you got the, the hunters in the past who, if they can get the shot that'll, that'll wound the animal and allow them to track it, then that's still food. And I think a lot of people don't hunt for subsistence anymore. And so that, that kind of plays into the whole ethics thing, but they really just want to look like a cool guy who can make a one shot kill. But, um, you know, if you look at, uh, if you look at animals, they're, they're not, you know, you, you, you talked about making sure that you track down your kill. Um, but if you look at animals, they're not considering ethics when they go out to kill. So if I, if I go out to kill a deer and I fire one shot and I'm, let's say I hit the deer, I hit it in a non-vital area. I know that, you know, I shot it in, in the, the flank and there's a good chance that it's going to get far, far, far away, maybe up a mountain and crawl down into a hole where I'll never find it. Um, well, I've, I've wasted a bullet and I've wasted a shot. I've also wasted all my time hiking up that mountain to find a deer. So it behooves me to make sure that I can make a shot because I'm just trying to live and animals are the same way. When they go out hunting, they have limited energy to expend. You look at lions, they spend most of their days sleeping. Even my dogs outside spend all day and all night sleeping. They barely get up if there's a bear in the yard. <laughs> if he comes close, that's when they're willing to that's when they're willing to expend the energy to run him off. Because their resources are finite, just like ours are. And so if you know, I mean, you can most people don't like to bring in utilitarianism into ethics and I I, of all people, I think don't either, but when you want to bring it down to its most basic level of survival, uh, there is some utility involved there. But then when you consider livestock, that's a whole different story because no longer am I the hunter. Uh, I'm now the caretaker. And so it's just like the difference between a soldier and a nurse, right? on the battlefield. They both have different functions and they're both held to different ethical standards. Although the soldiers held to similar standards as, as the nurse. Um, if the, if, if his enemy surrenders, but yeah, I mean, I guess I go on about that, but <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good point though. There is a big difference. I don't, you know, I don't mess around when it comes to animals um, under my care. You know, that's it's my responsibility to uh, to get them get them dead as quickly and as as calmly and peacefully. And part of that is because I absolutely can, like from a, a even even again, from a, a utility or a practical perspective, the meat's better. If you make it quick, you make mm -hmm. it, you know, stress free. Um, you know, you get all the blood out. You know, those are things that you can't necessarily do when you're hunting. You know, if I hit a deer. There's not, there's not bleeding out if I hit that deer with a rifle, you know, she's going down right there. Mm -hmm. That's that. Um, you know, I, it's, it's a, it's a funny story, but when I was, um, early, early twenties, me and some friends went out into the woods. It was January, um, with no food. The goal was to go out there and, and get some small game and cook it. And, um, we hadn't, we hadn't seen anything all day. And, um, I saw this squirrel. And he was booking it. And I don't usually take running shots. I've got a 22. Um, but man, I shot that squirrel. I shot at that squirrel and then at and then the squirrel four or five times. 
um, which is a lot for me. And um, I ended up, I think I hit three of those times, but I, I finally, finally killed it. And I had something to eat. Uh, my friends did not. And it's a silly story because ultimately I wasn't going to starve to death. You but... hit a squirrel three times with a 22? Yeah, while well, I was running. I was Holy smokes. <laughs> uh, that is a tough squirrel too. But, you I know, and it's, it's, it's a silly story because I wasn't going to yeah. starve. But at the, at the end of the day, that's, that's the kind of thing that hunters, you know, 200 years ago, they would have, you know, had they been able to shoot more than once. They would have de- taken whatever they could have gotten. Like if if that animal, if all that pre- was presented itself was a running shot, and they were going to starve, that was the difference between eating and not eating. They were going to take a running shot, and they weren't going to worry where it hit. It was going to leave a blood trail, and they could reload and go for round two. You know that. So from a from a hunting standpoint, I don't. You know, livestock is different, though. I absolutely make sure that that I'm trying my best to to make a peaceful a peaceful and stress free death. That's kind of what I was thinking when you were uh, when you were mentioned about the you know the one shot kill is on, is only like recent Americana like in, as far as like hunting ethics because like of what you just said you know they're gonna starve if they don't if they don't get this and so they're gonna take what they can get even if it's a dirty shot um, and then as far as like processing processing animals with it being totally different um that makes sense like when i did my 25 meepers last year uh i think like normies would ask me like oh did you did you cut the head off and let the chicken run around without a head on and i said i thought about it but i didn't like honestly i i've never seen that before and so like i'm kind of curious what that looks like but i couldn't like it wasn't worth it to me to just lop a chicken's head off just to see it run around like that. I think I'd be sad. I think that would make me sad uh, more than like, like, Oh, then, then just satisfy that curiosity. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just like, I'll just leave it in the killing cone. It's fine there. Like it'll, it, it thrashes around for a second and then it's over. And then we get to, then the real work starts. So I've done, I've done chickens a bunch of different ways. Um, prior to even really knowing about a kill cone, it was the axe or a machete and a block. Sure. Um, they do they do thrash around occasionally. They do run around. It doesn't really it doesn't really change what happened. The chicken's dead. It just doesn't know it yet. So I think from a doing it solely to satisfy your curiosity, I get that that's a little morbid. But doing it doing it because that's a way to kill the animal. I don't think it changes anything. The chicken's dead. Like if you don't way. have a killing cone. Yeah, I mean it didn't. It's dead. It doesn't, you know, it whether it dies in an upside down in a killing coat or dies with its head lopped off, you know, the end effect for it, it's it's dead and it's it's quick either way. So Yeah. It does make less of a mess in a killing cone though. And they bleed <laughs> yeah, out better. And all that blood goes right into a trough if you want it to. It's not yeah. just sprayed everywhere. And uh, um one time when uh the one time I did do turkeys, we tried uh we we like grab them and put them in an old t-shirt to try to, <laughs> to to try to keep their wings from like just beating the crap out of themselves like when you'd when you'd uh take their head off with an axe to like not bruise the meat um and then all that happened was that the turkeys ended up like their wings would still flap like crazy i mean they're crazy strong 
and like their wings ended up popping out of the t-shirt anyways. And so it was just, it was just ridiculous. You got this headless turkey wearing a t-shirt. We tried. We tried. Okay. What are you going to do? Yeah. Learning. My learning moment. Yeah. Learning moment. Hey, taking life is, is never a, a pretty thing. I mean, if it, if it is pretty and innocuous, I think you have a bigger problem. Because then, then I think that that takes away. I mean, you look at those suicide pods, right? That when you take out that that element of what it actually takes to kill something to to, to end something's life, that's when you have a problem because you don't you don't see. I mean, you don't see the lifeblood coming out. You don't see the the death throes, the struggle. And uh, yeah, I just think that. Uh, it's important to, I mean, the kids are out there slaughtering stuff with us too. We, we prefer to use a knife to, to allow the animal's heart to pump the blood out. But you make sure it's a nice sharp knife. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't like it being, you know, a little gassing or whatever. I think that's the kind of stuff you want to avoid. But yeah, you keep it as calm as you can for the animal. Mess, I'm not so worried about. I live in the woods. Let the blood go everywhere and water the ground. You know, it's it's good fertilizer, right? I uh, I did talk to a guy recently who raised rabbits and I think uh, chicks for uh, pet food, and so things like snakes and dogs, I guess, would it would they would rather have the animal whole because if it's like headless, mm-hmm. like it's like um i don't know they just have like this weird thing and so he said that you would get like co2 or something like that and create like these little gas chambers for his rabbits and i'm like that is so messed up he's like yeah it was <laughs> but that was the market i was in like right. it's just it's just sound i've never heard anything like that before it's so weird yeah if you think about it from your perspective how would you rather go would you rather you know, have somebody cut your throat and be looking at your blood spraying everywhere. I asked somebody who's had their throat cut before. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather circle uh, back to that. Yeah. I'd rather be gassed, but at the same time, you know, with an animal we're we're making it for food, but yeah, for animals, the food is going to be different. I did the same thing when I, when I raised quail, uh, I think, probably at least 50% of my market was for, for pet food and, and primarily for uh, food for raptors, for falconers. Sure. And anytime I had an order for that, I'd go catch the birds. I'd smack them on the back of the head with a pair of pliers. And that was that. And in the bucket, they'd go. But, you know, if I was preparing for humans, you know, for our consumption, it'd be different. You cut the head off, let the blood get out. And it's such a small animal that just removing the head completely, the blood will still get out just fine. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, whether players to the back of the head or just cutting the head off with a knife, that's still a lot quicker than a snake or a cat or, or a hawk is going to do for that animal. And so at that point, you just really have to ask, like, what is what is ethics when it comes to killing? I think that as long as you're not being sadistic in it and, and you're, you know, working towards making it, I guess, an efficient kill, I don't know. I'm not an animal. I can't think like an animal. 
Yeah, I mean, I saw like I, you know, when I watch uh, I watch my dog kill uh, kill coons um, a fair amount, and uh, it takes him a while, you know, and it's it's never pleasant and it's never fun. Um, you know, it's not fun for the dog. Um, although he seems to he seems to get some enjoyment out of it later. Um, <laughs> but it, it's certainly not fun for the coon, right? I mean, that coon's getting torn to shreds. Um, so I think you know when the the ethics kind of goes out the window there. But I think going back to what you were talking about with the with the disconnect, um, you know, you you want to have your. I think experiencing that um, it puts the ownership of the ethics on the person as opposed to just slapping something broadly on the whole, you know, whether it's livestock or hunting, it's, it's what the person's willing to handle when it comes to those, to how they, how they put an animal down. And I think the whole reason why we even have a a question about it is because there's, there's a disconnect. Most people don't experience, they don't see the animal, you know, they don't, they don't know what that animal went through or, or any of those things. The closest Um, they come is having their dog or cat dying. Yeah, but I mean, they don't, they don't put an animal down. They don't, no. you know, they don't, they don't experience those things. And so they don't, they don't know what's, what's humane and, or, you know, humane or ethical or, or not, you know, they just hear about it, you know, but for me, like I, I've had to finish deer off that I shot. I've had to finish roadkill deer off and I always try and do it as quickly as possible because I'm not comfortable with it suffering if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't, uh, that's me. That's my, I don't know that there's like some universal ethical thing. If I'm going to eat the animal, that's it for me. You know, at, at the end of the day, I'm going to do the best I can, but it is what it is. So, but I, I think it all comes back from that disconnect that, you know, that people don't know. They don't know personally what it's like to take an animal's life. And so they don't know. They don't know what, what's good what's a good thing for the animal or what's a good thing? What's a good goal to strive for anymore. Right. Let's, let's go through a uh, unexpected livestock loss. Like, so what is, how does that feel? Um, Cause I had one recently. I had a, I had a chicken just like, just unexpectedly die. Didn't like nothing, nothing happened to it. Like it wasn't attacked. It, I went, I went and locked up. Uh, we can we can talk about this a little bit later too. Like you know, free range versus like keeping your animals secure in like a coop or whatever. Um, I'm like one, two, three, seven, sixteen, sixteen. What the heck? Where's the other? Where's the other one? And so I like looked around. There was like only one other place it could have been, and that's where. What the heck is going on here? We got two Caleb's. <laughs> there we go. That was weird. Uh, yeah, that was weird. I'll be right back. Okay. Uh, and so, so it had just like when I when I finally found it, I like I I could still kind of move its feet, could kind of move its wing. So like, the chicken hadn't been dead for long. That if it's still slightly movable, but like I was just like racking my brain. I'm like, what? could have possibly happened to this thing. Cause it's maybe two years old. It's like, give or take a couple months. Like it's not that old for a chicken. And so um, you're just like, now what do I have to do to make sure that the other, other ones make it like what happened to this one that could possibly happen to all these others. Like 
then you kind of feel like a failure um, as a, I guess, um, whatever they, like a chicken farmer, I guess. I don't know what you call a homesteader, a real homesteader, Josiah. That's right. So I don't, I don't know those, those types of types of things, like the, the losses, like you, you could have a hundred successes, right? Like, Oh, they made them all, all 100 made it to the freezer. But then this one, like it really like sticks with you. Like, you know, having chicks die early. And sometimes that stuff's completely out of control predators, but sometimes that's preventable. So. No, I mean, we had, um, we had a doling. Um, I forgot to turn on the electric netting. And she stuck her head through it and panicked and um, strangled herself. And, um, you know, you do, I, again, it, it comes back to from a <clears throat> from an ethical standpoint, she's doling. Um, she's worth a lot more to me than a buck. I would not have beat myself up as much had it been a buck. Take that for what it, what it will. But that doling would have given me a buck and they're worth two, three times more cash-wise. Um, but it 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 really sucks because it, it, I was unable to take care of the animal in a way that, um, that let it fulfill the whole reason I owned it. Um, so that's not, you know, that's not an experience that you want. Um, and we've had chickens drop over, um, and we've had, you know, raccoon incursions in the chicken house. And, and some of that was, was failure on my part. Um, maybe not, not the house wasn't quite tight enough or, or with the doling, you know, the electric fence wasn't, wasn't on so it didn't shock her um but it's never a good thing and from a from from that standpoint it's it's a failure on my part to uh to care for the animal in a way that um you know guy alaska was talking you know when when you when you raise the animal their care and feeding is on you and so any death that that you could have prevented it does weigh it does weigh on me i you know my my failure to press a button on the the fence charger killed an animal um, so that's never, that's never a good thing. At the end of the day, it's an animal, you know, I didn't kill anybody. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not going to weigh on my conscience forever, but, uh, I, I make sure that fence is turned on every, every morning. So, you know, that's not great, but it is what it is. What about you guy? Ex- unexpected losses? Oh yeah, plenty, plenty. Of, uh, I mean, even since getting up here, we've been. Uh, the winter was especially tough. I think when we first got up here, I was so busy trying to build a house and everything that our dogs, the uh, one dog to be a stud, was um, his sire was from Turkmenistan. Um, and his hamlet's from, you know, what I would consider to be our country's top breeder of the breed. And um, we're hoping he's not eating today. And so I went down and looked at him. He was skeletal. And, uh, and so I had to take him out that day and down. And uh, that was rough. That was you know, pardon the pun, <laughs> rough dogs. Anyway, uh, hey guy, your uh, your audio is um, pretty. Yeah, he's a great dog. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, booster still running. Um, I'll just truck on, I guess. But anyway, he was uh, he was a great dog. Came from great stock, and, and he got a big case of whipworm, and and I'd relied on my son to care the dogs instead of making sure that I was just doing my rounds and checking them daily. And at the end of the day, he's an 11 year old. You know, you can't fully rely on them. They still, you, you can, you can explain to them why animals need to be looked over day after day, they're blue in the face, but they're just not going to understand. And, uh, yeah, that was a tough one. Um, and I think we lost two, two does over the winter. We bought four goats four uh, three does and one buck. Um, knowing that we didn't really have an adequate way to feed them, but they're so hard to get out here that it was still worth the chance. And we had two does, I think, start this winter. Um, we're out there day after day, trying to bring them out of greens, but all, all we had to hold to feed them. Until we had money to buy some hay. Um, but we're, we're in good shape now. They're all... All, we, we picked up some more from a friend on a neighboring island and all berries and fern fiddleheads and all kinds of stuff. So berry bushes, I should say. Berries aren't on yet, but yeah. Stuck lost. And dogs, I can Hey, guy, could you try turning off your video? Maybe that'll help with the audio issues. Yeah. Yeah, let's try that. Can you hear now? Maybe. Yep. That's pretty clear, actually. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I was saying, you know, I consider dogs livestock, too, because even though they're, uh, I mean, we have relationships with all our animals, including our goats. I mean, I'll, I'll pet them, call them by name, go love on them, and then the next day eat them if that's it's time for them, So. Right. Yeah, like, uh, like people have like relationships with their pigs that like, you know, they'll call them, you know, like they're like pigs are like dogs. Like what I've heard come up to you, want pets and scratches and then go to freezer camp someday. Like that's just, just how it goes with pigs. And it, probably other animals too. Depends on the breed species, all that, all that stuff. Um, so in terms of, ethics like there's a lot of people that like i will only free range our animals like you know my chickens free range my sheep whatever name the animal only free range um i could probably do that here there's but there's lots of lots of predators like a couple months ago i saw a fox for the first time i know we got raccoons around here uh birds of prey like a quarter mile to a, to an Eagle's nest from my house. Um, I mean, take your pick mountain lions coming around here, coyotes, you know, I mean, it's, that's probably just like, you know, nothing compared to the predators that you got guy. But um, I, I keep, I keep my chickens in like a double, like I, I call it a, like a double locked, like a, double locked coop like i've got a layer of fencing and then i have chicken wire on top of that stapled on the inside of the coop just just to make sure nothing's getting in hardware cloth buried a foot 
under like in the perimeter so like nothing tries to bury under like bury under the under the coop just to make sure that they're safe and that i'm not going to have those losses and when i do let them out of the coop they're just in a chicken run there's there's lots of scratch scratch and peck at um like it'd be i could probably do chicken tractors but then that's just more work of moving them so maybe maybe someday maybe someday i'd switch it up and do chicken tractors instead of a coop but i don't know i built the coop it's here it works i we we had bad i had bad luck with the chicken tractor so i'm not i'm not a huge fan of uh of them at least in my my use case how so um i had a raccoon dig dig under it in one night and wow uh, kill most of the meat birds so not something not something i'm interested in doing um it may be a different story so that was at my parents house um they didn't have a dog at the time so maybe that would be a different some more deterrence of some kind um but yeah i wasn't wasn't a fan and we didn't um i didn't really free range until recently so i don't there's that whole, you know, acceptable losses. Um, we actually, we just lost, just lost our first bird. I don't actually oh, know what happened. Um, free ranging. I don't, I don't know what happened to her. Um, so I don't keep strict count of the birds. So it was more, I just, I just stumbled upon what remained of the carcass. Um, you know, I think for me at the end of the day, it's about, it's about the animals fulfilling their purpose for me. So in the case of the chickens, um, they're laying eggs. And if the predator pressure was high enough um, that I wasn't getting the eggs that I needed because I was losing birds due to free ranging, I wouldn't free range anymore. Um, Whether from an ethical standpoint, you know, they have, they, they have a better life. They absolutely have better life free ranging. Um, They can eat whatever the heck they want. They are, they look better. Um, although admittedly their run was, it was pretty borderline on having enough space. It was a big run though. I mean, we just had a lot of birds. Um, they do, I think they do better feed cost is way, way down. I don't feed them near as much. Um, so all those things are, all those things are, are big deals for me, but at the end of the day, if they're not laying the eggs that I need them to lay, then they're not, they're not doing what I have them for, in which case I'm going to. I'm going to go back to, to putting them in a pen and, and thus far that hasn't happened. And that's a good thing. Um, they're a lot, a lot cheaper, um, which is another big one for me, but you know, the pigs, when we ran pigs, um, I didn't have a huge area for them. Um, it was, they were actually, we had had, we had two little dillings, um, but they were the first real big livestock for a, for us. And, um, we didn't have a big area. And in hindsight, I, I wish I'd probably had a little bit bigger of an area for them. But at the same time, uh, they fulfilled the purpose that we bought them for, which was to fill the freezer. You know, is they got to live as a pig. You know, they weren't on concrete or anything like that. It wasn't a mm-hmm. not a concentrated animal feeding operation or whatever. But from an from a, a they're not pastured pig. They weren't raised to some of the standards that some folks have. Um. You know, but they fulfilled my standard, which was was feed my family, which is is the most important thing from an ethical standpoint for me. So, yeah, you just give them the best life that you can. Yeah, you know, 
safely. Uh, you know, give them prop like proper nutrition. I know a lot of people don't give a crap what they feed their chickens, but like if you're eating those eggs and or eating that chicken that's going in your body, uh, that's kind of messed up. But and also if you're I mean, if you're feeding your animals junk, how ethical is that? Uh, a lot of people, I, I, I talked to a farmer last year who he's like, honestly, I don't know if it really matters. Uh, what'd you feed a pig? You could feed a pig garbage. And I think the meat would taste the same. It's really all about the um, happiness of the happiness of the animal. And I, I was like, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds insane. I uh I I wish I wish um guy was on here still because he might have some some insight into that but I I've never I've never eaten two to compare but from what I understand if you've got a blackberry eating trash or rotting fish or whatever and versus a bear eating berries there's a distinct taste difference um, oh sure like I said I have I have no personal experience with that the only bear I've eaten was um was eating donuts out of a barrel apparently every day <laughs> um they baited him in so anyways I, so i i would i would question that i think um you know i i, I would want to diet for the pig similar to my own um i'm not above drinking some Prime mountain Dew and and eating some crap from time to time but sure if if that's all they're eating, yeah, I would question the health of the pig. Um, well, you know, yeah. How would you not? That's insane. Yeah, that you would like. Well, and the nutrition, the nutrition value in the in the pig. Um, you know, but I touched on it um, last week when Long Story was on with with regards to what I what I fed the pigs once a week. They got the leftovers from this this you know these company kitchen expired food. It wasn't mm-hmm. great. It wasn't great for them. I can't imagine that that forty chocolate muffins was spectacular for them but it was once a week um yeah you know so i mean there's balance there but but again from a from an ethics standpoint it was a way to cut my feed costs and and fulfill their purpose for me um which was which was feeding me and uh the bacon didn't taste like chocolate so it must not have been in the chocolate chocolate muffins right but but again i mean from from a you know we we, we took care of those pigs and, um, you know, we fed them reasonable, reasonable food and we ate them and that's what we had them for. So I think, again, I think you can get wrapped up in it. And, and I, I think better to trend on the side of taking good care of the animal. I mean, I, anything's better than a CAFO, I think in, in, in my book, like if, if I can give them a better life than that, then, then I'm doing them, I'm doing better. Like I, there's what I what I have under my control, and you know if I can do pigs in a better way than that, if I can do chickens in a better way than that, I'm doing pretty good. I'll get you know I'll continue to level up, but I'm not going to let this ideal way out there in the sky stop me from raising pigs or raising chickens, whatever way is efficient for me and effective. Right. Don't let uh, perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. I mean, like them eating. If your if your baseline is grocery store meat, if you can be one percent better than that, like okay, like that's that's that that is that is better, I guess, than uh, grocery store meat, and uh, just Im- improve improve 
more as you go, like refine your methods and, um, you know, quality of life for your animal. If, I mean, th- which should matter, which should matter to you. Um, I think if you're raising animals, if, I mean, if it's, if it, if you have no connection to the life on your property, then what are you doing? I mean, I think, I think quality of life is a big deal. And I, but I, I think again, you can make, you can, you can bring it back to just practical, you know, if, if the animals are being raised on good food and they're healthier, um, then they're going to taste better. And, um, you know, whether, regardless of which end you're going for, at the end of the day, the animal's life is better. Whether you're doing it because you want the animal's life to be this, this great, you know, you want that pig to just grow up on grass and, and eat the good stuff, you know, to live a good life, or you're doing it because they taste better. At the end of the day, the pig still got a better life than, than he would have. And, and for me, that's my thing. You know, I, I approach it a little differently, a little more pragmatically, I think, um, than some, some folks, but at the end of the day, for me, if the meat tastes good and I'm, and I'm doing my best to give them a good life, then I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. I talked to a lady a couple of weeks ago who, had a pig as a homesteader, just one. And um, she like sang it to sleep. <laughs> like she, I'm not even kidding. Well, I don't, uh, I don't even remember the song that she told me that she sang the, the her pig, Blue. Uh, <laughs> her pig named Blue. She sang it, she sang it to sleep every night. And uh, man, that's like, and when they were they moved properties they weren't going to take the pig with them she gave it to a sanctuary uh for it to live out the rest of its days when like some homesteading friends of theirs um were like oh yeah we'll take it and we'll process it she's like no i'm gonna give it to a sanctuary now if if between i'm not even saying anything's wrong with that that's her pig she can do whatever she wants with it i don't really give a crap uh, so somewhere between, um, you know, store-bought meat and that is where I want to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sing my chickens to sleep. If I ever <laughs> do get pigs, I'm not going to sing them to sleep. Um, like some, something so small, like, like a couple, I want to say probably two months ago, one of my chickens had their toenail like ripped off. Like it was just bleeding all over the place. And, uh. I saw other chickens like pecking at it. And so I jumped online, you know, asked people like, what can I do for it? Blah, blah, blah. Like if you care that your chicken's toenail ripped off, like I think, I think you got the right frame of mind, I guess, like in care, like, will this get infected? Are they going to die? I don't really like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hand feed a chicken but I don't want it to suffer from an infection. So do I take it out now? Do I wait and see that type of, that type of thing? I think that's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good point with regards to scale too. I mean, if you had a thousand birds, one of them wouldn't matter. Um, you know, so I think that's a, Probably that's not. a good point towards scale. I, I mean, I guess it wouldn't matter. It would matter a lot less when it comes to the, you know, if you have, you have 17 birds or 16 birds or whatever, whatever it was that you said there, it, you know, that's a, that's a big percentage. And I mean, I like the math changed even, even for us, you know, going from, we had two goats and man, we, we babied those goats. 
And um, you know, now now we have we have fifteen does. Um, and the math has changed a little bit. We actually we sold a doling um, a couple weeks ago. You know, we had um, expendable animals, I get, or expendable does for the first time. And so it's it's kind of a weird moment when you get to that point where it. it I mean, obviously you're going to care, but there's there's that difference. And but I I think when it comes to the scale thing, I think caring. I think not not having so much, you know, and having that connection so that you still care about the livelihood of the animal. That's a good thing. You know, when you see those videos, the the um, secretly recorded, you know, hidden camera videos of the the um, concert animal feeding operations. Yeah. Um, you know, where they're just chucking the animals out the door. There's there's no connection anymore. They don't care. It doesn't change the bottom line for them. Um, I think you're right. I think somewhere between, you know, seeing the animal to sleep and that experience and, and having a connection, you know, while still letting the animal, you know, getting the animal to fill why you have it. Um, that's a big deal, you know, somewhere, somewhere between there. It's so different, you know, for me than the dogs. I, I love my dogs, but at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's a dog, you know, I don't, I don't sing my dogs to sleep. I have a dog that I love, um, you know, best dog in the world kind of a thing. I don't sing him to sleep. He's a dog. Um, you know, he does, does what dogs are supposed to do for me. He provides security, kills coons. He lives a good life, but he's a dog. You know, so there's somewhere in between, like you said, that pig and the cafo, there's a good place for, for livestock and for animals, I think, in general. Yeah. Um there was there's something I wanted to I thought about, and then we'll go through a couple of Dylan's notes really quick. Um do you know you know Steven Ranella of Meat Eater and the Meat Eater yeah. show and podcast and all that? Um I was watching a talk with him and this guy this guy showed up to like one of like his talks at like a books bookstore or whatever. And he's like, you like, I was like, you disrespected animals. You know, you have no idea about deer or elk or whatever. And Steven Ranella's point is like through hunting and studying these animals since I was like 10 years old, I know way more about them than you ever will. Just because I've studied their patterns their habits uh, what they eat, um, just their entire life, like uh, their life cycle. I've, I'm that through just through hunting, I I can, like I have that knowledge about them, and through knowledge and understanding, probably comes like compassion and uh, like some level of empathy. Uh, it's kind of like how traveling oh man like traveling helps you understand other cultures type of thing where you can't you can't be that much of like a racist or a bigot if you go travel the world right i mean (laughs) experiencing all these other cultures and stuff i mean it's like uh yeah just that like i when i when i saw that clip of steven ranella i was like that's a really good point you know, these, these vegans are like, uh, or, you know, PETA people, whatever, you know, they're, they're so quick to just call us just like, uh, barbarians or whatever that, you know, we're just gonna, we just like killing animals. Cause it's fun. Like it's really not that fun. Um, but it, you know, we give it a good life and it, it it's just, it doesn't even have a bad day. It has that bad couple of minutes and then, yeah. It's over. We're not, 
Like these, these, these animals aren't living long enough to get cancer and die slowly. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we do give them a better life in that regard for sure. And I, I think, you know, I, I love that clip of Stephen Rill. Actually, I showed up, I showed up, um, coworker that I had, had had a discussion about, about veganism, um, with, I love that clip. It's a good one, but, uh, you know, I think with, for me, you know, with deer hunting, deer hunting is a, a good example here. I, I care about the habitat that I have and I care about the deer numbers and I want the deer herd to be healthy because I want to continue to, to, to hunt. Um, and I want my kids to be able to hunt. And so I care. So I don't kill deer indiscriminately. And um, I care about the population and I don't kill deer if they've had a rough year or if I'm not seeing a lot. And it's no different than these goats. These goats provide me a purpose and a reason. And so I'm going to take as good of care of them as I can um, because they they are important to me. And they're not just important to me because it's a goat. They're important to me because it's how my kids get milk. Um, and that's something that, you know, like like in that clip with Stephen Ranella, they're people people that when the animal doesn't have a purpose for them, when the animal doesn't have a reason for being, it it matters less. To, to the person they don't understand um the animal as well or or the the efforts that we do to to take good care of them and to um you know to give them a good life because i have a a vested interest in the animal's livelihood that they they don't have and then think about the the deer itself like that deer gets to be a deer like it doesn't have like it's not contained in any way like it jumps fences all the time um just gets free range and then one day um you know it's life it's it's life ends and ends up uh but but if you think about what if we treated all other animals like that all domestic animals that would be crazy that would actually be kind of cool if we like instead of like like let's bring back these big elk herds. Like if you look at ma- like a map of like everywhere where there used to be elk, it was, you know, Southern Canada all the way down to like Florida. Right. It was just throughout the entire population, uh, throughout the entire United States had, had elk on it, like and bison and like all these other, other things, you know, what if we just, you know, had goats and stuff just running around, but like the way the way we like society lives, that's not practical. You like, which is a whole different discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a Uh, topic for next week there. Maybe, maybe like, what if we just let the, all the animals free range? Um, That would be, that would be crazy. Our, our society would look a lot different that way. But I mean, that would be kind of cool to just like have these, massive populations healthy populations um but like people people don't even like when deer are in their yard because they like eats their tulips so they're gonna freak out when like a 200 head of elk come passing through their property and like just start smashing up their car or like there's a bison just you know beating up their garage door or something like that they're not this they're not going to be happy about that but that's what wild animals look like so well, it's a disconnect from animals, from, from being around animals, I think, more than anything. You know, we've had the neighbor's cows get loose, and they've run through the yard before. Um, you know, that's normal. That's normal here. It's a, it's a rural area. But 
you know, that there's that disconnect where animals, you know, they don't understand. Um, same thing with farming down, down closer to my parents. It's a lot more of, you know, the 10 acre rural estate, um, crap, you know, people just mowing their, their big old lawns and, but there's still some big farms interspersed in there. And like the people are ridiculously rude to the farmers driving their tractors on the road. You know, there's that, that again, there's that big disconnect between, you know, food and how it gets raised. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't have any more. And so I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think people lose their minds if, if, you know, those big, big herds of elk or a, a bison herd rolled through, you know, they might get some poop on their lawn or something. <laughs> oh no. So, yeah. 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 Have like, uh, have like wild cattle come make a comeback. And, uh, like this, these just giant herds are just covering the streets in, uh, in just manure and whatnot. So yeah, the, the idea is funny to me and to be kind of like, it'd just be kind of crazy that we would need such a massive shift to allow nature to kind of reclaim what's theirs. Um, but yeah, uh, Dylan's Dylan's notes. Um, everyone, uh, he's got a couple of things here that it kind of would help if he, if he were here to explain what he means by this. Yeah, what a um, so slacker. I'm, I know. <laughs> it's gone two days. There are two weeks in a row. Uh, oh, someone's like, anonymous Kiwi. I don't even know what that means. Uh, everyone everyone should either raise or know someone that raises meat. My dad told me this years ago that meat would be scarce in 50 years. Um, I guess tying it into like ethics and principles, you can like... I think now more than ever, you can get picky uh, with where you get your get your uh, meat from. Like, I don't like how they raise their animals. So I'm going to try this other place and ask, I'm going to grill them on questions. Like, how do you, like, I did that with my raw milk producer last week. I was like, hey, so um, how do you, what's your process here? Like, blah, 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 blah. Because like formula shortage there's ways to make raw milk into safe baby formula that type of thing and so i was kind of like asking um for future reference like if i need to make baby formula is this a good source to have or do i need to look harder no i mean his notes are good i i don't from a from a consumption standpoint i don't necessarily know that um you know, knowing the person that you buy it from. But I, I think having that connection, I think whether it be that you've, you've killed an animal for yourself. Um, so, you know, you have a better understanding of what it takes to produce the meat that you're eating. Um, but I will say, I mean, it, it, I, I think we, you know, we've talked before with the, the supply chain issues. I think it would behoove everybody to have a little bit closer connection with, um, with some of their food um, just from a standpoint of being able to, to get it at some point i don't i don't know about meat scarcity but you know from a a long-term perspective but i mean we saw meat scarcity from a short-term perspective so it it did happen you know and there were people that couldn't buy eggs but they they bought eggs from us because they knew us so there's Mm -hmm. there is a lot of good reasons to have to have that connection and to know you know people 
you know, people don't care about food. I mean, I just talked about that, but people, people don't care about food anymore. It's easy to get, you know, it's always in the grocery store. So they don't, they don't put those, they don't put the thought into where it comes from or, or how it died or how it was raised. And it probably needs to be something that uh, people, more people are aware of than thinking about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe next week we could talk about is meat actually under attack, like meat producers under attack. Um, you know, the impossible burger, beyond burger, you know, trying to get you to eat soy based trash. Um, could be, could be a good topic for like, is there yeah, be something to talk about? <laughs> conspiracy, like, uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to make this my conspiracy podcast 2.0. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go there, but uh, anyways, um, but yeah, you got, you got anything else you want to wrap up on? I got nothing, man. Sweet. So uh, who are you <laughs> again? Where can people <laughs> find you and see your carefully curated tweets that are gold and every, Oh, I'm not sure about any of that, but um, Josiah Young Inventive 15 on uh, on Twitter. Um, that's where you can find my uh, my apparently gold tweets. So you post some good stuff. Yeah, you, you had some stuff. pictures of your kids uh, recently, so helping yeah. out. That's right, helping inflate that pool. So that's you know. right. Yeah. Yeah. And I am Matt Roaster of FarmHop Life. You can find me almost everywhere. You can start at farmhoplife.com. And we'll figure out a topic for next week. So appreciate everyone listening. See you later.